Okay, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've been with us this morning. We thank you that you never leave us. There's not one moment when you're not with us and when we're not in your presence. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that that's why you came, that's why you died, and that's why you said to your disciples, it's better if I go away because I will leave my Holy Spirit. And so we're just grateful, Lord, that we are not a people who just encounter you when we come together on a Sunday, though that is so important. Actually, you are with us wherever we are. And we're grateful that that is the kind of faith we have and that is the kind of God we have. And that's why you came, Lord Jesus, so that we might never be alone. And we're grateful this morning. And so you're with us now. I pray, Father, that you would indeed send your Holy Spirit to move among all of us, that you'll speak, you'll say something to us this morning that will make us a little bit more like your son. So be with us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, this, this sermon was partly written in my local pub. So I, I don't necessarily... Um, what's become my local pub? My local pub is just, just up the road. Isn't it? And... Um, uh, some of the guys very kindly uh, got together and uh, welcomed me to Brixton on Friday night. And, uh, so, uh, and uh, so there were about nine of us, I think. And so uh, they, they've helped to write today's sermon, basically, because <laughs> I had moved into my new place this week and time was fairly limited. So I thought, what can I do? I know what I'll do. I'll get someone else to write the sermon today. So this is a, this is a collaborative sermon today. And... Uh, in fact, uh, John Taylor, he's not here this morning, but he was even sending me a contribution by text this morning. <laughs> I had something else. I've been reflecting, Phil. I think there might be this. Okay, thanks. I'll include that. <laughs> so this is very much a joint effort. But we are going to look at um, the next beatitude that we've come to, which is this one which says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And uh, one of the discussions that we had in the pub on Friday night is what do we associate with the word meek? And it's really interesting, because I think I've had a, not just my pub conversations, but a, a couple of other conversations just during the week with people about what, what comes into your head when you think about meekness. It's actually not very positive. For a lot of us, we would think that meekness, because I guess it rhymes with it as well, is weakness. It's being downtrodden. It's being passive, meekness, you're a bit passive, you just let stuff happen to you. you perhaps you avoid difficult com contexts and conversations if you're meek. You're into passivity and avoidance and you're a bit downtrodden and you're a bit weak. So let's just have a little look at what that word meek means. And perhaps the first thing that we should do is look at two people in the Bible who are described as meek. There are two people. There are only two people in the Bible who are described as meek. So one of them you would know is Jesus. Anybody know who the other one is? Yeah, well done. Well done, Matt. Yeah, Moses. Tick. Um, Moses is described as meek. So let's just have a quick look at uh, Numbers chapter 12, which just describes an incident with Moses and his brother and sister. So his sister, Miriam, and his brother Aaron, 
or Aaron. And in Numbers chapter 12, Moses is leading the people, and this is what happens. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, just so you get the message there, uh, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken also through us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, come out you three to the tent of meeting. This is like, dad's not happy, yeah? And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And then if you know the story, what then happens is that Miriam, Moses' sister, is afflicted from that moment with leprosy. And uh, then you just see again how, how lovely and meek Moses is because Moses gets on his knees and prays for his sister who's been speaking against him. And within a week, Miriam is healed of her leprosy. But God loves meekness. So we might feel that it's got those connotations around passivity and around avoidance and around weakness, but actually God loves meekness. And God speaks to meek people. Let's look then at what it says about Jesus, who's the other person who's described as meek in the Bible. And we hear a bit about him in Philippians, where Paul's talking first to us, and then he uses the example of Jesus to teach us what he's talking about, what Paul's talking about. So this is what Paul says to us or to the people he was writing to. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Listen to that again. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests also of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. So this is now the description of Jesus. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, as I was reading that, I thought to myself, do you know what meekness is about giving something up to gain something infinitely better? It's about giving something up to gain something infinitely better. When we were talking in the pub, I was, was one of the guys we were talking to is not not a member of this church, but we were just chatting as part of a group, and he said, I, he said, I don't think I'll ever have the disposition to be meek. It's just not in my nature. It's not in my nature to be meek. And so we had a really interesting conversation around that because actually the Beatitudes are not about, the blessed R's are not about something that you have to either work up in yourself or you naturally have. They are not about an attitude or a disposition. So you might think to yourself, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so, he's really meek, but I'm not meek. I'm not that meek, but that's a really meek person there. But actually, that's not what the Beatitudes are about. Because if that were the case, we would be able to say, well, he's meek, uh, and he is a peacemaker, uh, because there's another Beatitude that says, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, and he hungers and thirsts after righteousness, because there's another beatitude that says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And actually, the beatitudes are not around saying, right, you've got that one and you've got that one, because actually, hopefully, all of us want to hunger and thirst after righteousness. The beatitudes do not describe these, um, if you like, these um, aptitudes that God gives one and another, and then he gives a different person a different one. The Beatitudes are about what he is wanting to confer and work in all of us. All of the Beatitudes in all of us. It's not just one for you and one for you, and somehow you have to work it up. Do you know, that was a bit of a revelation for me, because I don't know about you, but if you've been a Christian for a while and you've read the list of the Beatitudes, and you're thinking, oh, blessed are the peacemaker, I better do a bit of peacemaking... Blessed are the meek. Oh, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to be meek? Oh, gosh. And you can work your way through the list and feel terribly disheartened by it. Or the other thing you can do is you can say, "Well, I'm not called to be that one. I'm that one." But actually, that's not what the Beatitudes are. They are not something that we have to try and work up in ourselves. They are something that God confers on us as His people. He confers a hunger for righteousness. He confers meekness. How does he do it? So how do we get this stuff? How does he confer the blessed R's on us? How does he confer meekness on us? It's something that he's wanting to do in us. This is what a guy called Philip Greenslade says, and he has written a really helpful book on the Beatitudes. He says this, Jesus has not come looking for beatitude people. They don't exist. He has come to create such a community. Yeah? Jesus doesn't come looking for it. So when you think to yourself, well, I'm no good at being meek, or I'm not great at being a peacemaker, well, he's not expecting you to be. Because beatitude people don't exist. They have to be created. 
and he does that in us by his spirit, and that's what it's about. So how do we cooperate with him? Well, those first four Beatitudes, so blessed are the poor in spirit, yeah, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, I'm just trying to think of what the fourth one is, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So those first four, what the commentators say about those is that actually those grow in us and God grows those in us through circumstance. He grows those things in us through circumstance. So what do we mean by that? Well, I was struck really powerfully last week when Kate and John were talking about blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And one of the things that really struck me was when Kate talked about the choice that she had about how to react to two miscarriages. And she had a choice about what she was going to do with those. And she described two why questions. It was really powerful for me. She said, there's the, there's the why, God, why? Why have you allowed that? Why did you do that? Why isn't it different? There are the two why questions. There's that why, or there's the other why, which Kate chose, which is why? Why? God, are you saying something to me? Are you wanting to do something in me? Is there greater purpose in this? I know that you are in control and you love me. I don't understand it. Why? And sometimes God answers that, and we know why, and sometimes he doesn't. But can you see the difference in the attitude behind those two different ways of asking why? And this thing around becoming meek, is a, as I've read it more and more, I feel it's around the choice that we make when we face situations and contexts that we're in. It's around the choices that we make. Let's see how Jesus made those choices. So the Holy Spirit is working in us, and we have these choices to make. So how do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that we make the right choices, and he then grows meekness in us? Well, let's see what Jesus said and how he did it. So in John chapter 8, Jesus says this, I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. And he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I do nothing on my own authority. You see, what Jesus did was he gave everything up. He surrendered his rights he surrendered his right to be justly angry at the way he was being treated. He surrendered his right for retribution. He surrendered his right to have his way and not God's way. So you hear those, that, those breathtaking words when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's going to be crucified. And he says, if this cup can be taken away from me, then, Father, will you please do it? But not my 
thy will, yours be done. It's the choice that Jesus made. And God works meekness in us when we are faced with life situations and we make the choice to let go. So when people say, mm, I don't like the word meek because actually it means, it means weakness, do you know what? To an extent, that's exactly what it means. In fact, Paul, when he writes, he talks about boasting. I will boast in my weakness. Yes, it's exactly that. But it's not weak in terms of allowing yourself to be totally downtrodden and for others to have their way over you. There's actually huge strength in meekness, and actually you have to be very, very strong to be meek. So Charles Spurgeon uses a few words to describe it. He says meekness is gentleness. Yes, it is that. But it's also it's self-control. It's forgiveness. It's repentance. It's hard stuff, actually. Being meek is really, really difficult. Uh, Charles Spurgeon tells a story of one of the reformed pastors in the 1600s, 1700s who uh, was in a pub. Can you see pubs are coming into my, my talk quite a lot today? Who um, was in a pub and eating his meal. And obviously the people in the pub knew he was a, a minister. And this guy comes over to him while he's eating and throws a glass of beer in his face. And this guy carries on eating his meal and makes absolutely no re reaction to that at all. There's no reaction from him. And so this guy goes and gets another pint of beer and throws it in his face. And this guy carries on eat, eating, no reaction. And then this other guy goes, he gets one more and he throws it in his face again. And this time, when there's no reaction, other than actually what Spurgeon describes as a look of compassion and love from the guy who's just had the beer thrown in his face, the other guy falls on his knees in front of him and, and, and is saved. Because this guy didn't react, because he made the choice to be meek. He made the choice to give up his right to have redress. And that's difficult and it's hard but there's fruit from it. Because we have to remember that what this beatitude says, it's got two parts to it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is fruit, inherit the earth. Do you know, it feels like to me that that minister 300 years ago, that pastor 300 years ago, he inherited something because that guy's life was saved. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And meekness is not weakness in that sort of sense. It's hard work. So how, how do we then put ourselves in a position where God can work this in us? So let me give you some practical examples again from the Bible. We read one just now. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Do you know, I've read that time and time again, and reading it in this version, which is the uh, English Standard Version, where it says, consider others of more significance than yourself, 
It's powerful. That I'm called to consider you more significant than me. I'm called to do that. I'm called to consider you more significant than I consider myself. You know, that's a challenge. But Jesus never asks us to do something that he doesn't empower us to do. So although we might think that's a high call, that's, an ex- that's something to aim for. Never get there, but, you know, it's a good thing to aim for. No, the Bible doesn't tell us to do stuff that, it then, that we don't then have the power in Christ to do to consider others more significant than myself. And as I do that, what's he working in me? As I make that choice that I will consider you to be more significant than me in this, he's working meekness in me. Do you know, I see a load of meekness in so many of you. I do. I see it in my encounters with you regularly. I see God working meekness in you as you consider the needs of others more significant than your own, when you sacrifice something that you would have liked to have done or something that you felt was on your mind and you sacrifice that for somebody else, that is considering others of more significance than yourself. And every time you do that, he is working meekness in you. Here's another one. How about this one? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. I spoke on that passage a good few months ago, and actually, I don't know if you remember, but one of those words, I think it was submit, is another way of describing that, is be being persuaded. So the, the, the actual translation from the Greek is be being persuaded by your leaders. Are you continually in a position where you are able to lay down your stuff, to give away your right, when your leaders say, do you know what, I'm just wondering about that. What do you think, perhaps? Are you persuadable by your leaders? Every time you are, God is working meekness into you. Every time you make that choice, yeah? Okay, I don't quite under, I just wonder, you know, I'm thinking that, but but they're saying that. I, I trust them. Okay, I'll be being persuaded. I'll be persuadable, God. I'll lay down my and I'll be persuaded. Every time you make that choice, God is working his meekness into you. How about this one? This one's a really tricky one, isn't it? It's words of Jesus. You've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
Now, we read that and some of those things in the context of the day, we think, well, you know, don't often get asked for my cloak by many people these days. Um, don't often get somebody who says to me, right, carry my bags for a mile, because that's what this was referring to, was that in Roman times, a Roman centurion could just grab you and say, right, come and carry my bags for a mile. We don't often have it in that context, but do you know, time and time again, we are in positions where we are asked to do stuff and we just think, this is not just, this is not right. I shouldn't be, this, I, what? And it's interesting, yesterday I was at Food Bank talking to a, to a, to a guy there, um, bless him, who's, who's in a real, real state, life just in pre-fall and very complex, deep needs that obviously went back a really long time. And he was saying, yeah, every time the police get me, I tell them I know my rights. I know my rights, and I make sure that they know that I know my rights. And you know, I could understand what he was saying, but do you know what? I also looked at him and I thought, yeah, you do know your rights, but actually it's not got you anywhere. Actually trying to press for your rights is not really what you need. You need to submit and surrender and let Christ come in. That's what you need. You don't need to know your rights the next time you're taken in by the police. You need to surrender and submit, and then God can do something in you. And it was powerful because we live in a society that pushes rights all the time, equal rights. The European Court of Human Rights. Now, I'm not saying that those things are wrong and fighting for justice is not a good thing to do, and we know that Christians down the centuries have fought for justice, particularly for the poor and the oppressed. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But sometimes we have to lay down our rights. And when we make that choice, here's how it can feel. It can feel naive. It can feel like, just, I've just been totally naive here. I'll give you an example of once where I felt naive and afterwards, just afterwards, almost sort of felt God say, no, that was okay. And someone came to the door and it was uh, one of those, you know, things where you think, oh, I knocked on the door and they said, um, I've just had my wallet stolen, I'm miles from home, I, I just need, I needed 10 pounds to get to, to so-and-so and so-and-so, and I'm in the area again tomorrow, I can give it you back. And you know you get those and you think, yeah. <laughs> and so I gave it to him. And of course, I didn't get a knock on the door the next week, but then my 10 pounds back again. And afterwards, I just thought, I could hear this nagging voice saying, you fool, you fool. But do you know what, afterwards, and it was some time afterwards I was reflecting on it, and I don't mean that I felt God say, oh, well done, I'm really proud of you. But I did reflect and think, do you know what, does it matter? Does it matter that I did that? Does it matter that maybe I gave £10 to a guy who was just pulling the wool over my eyes? Does it matter? Actually, no, it doesn't matter. Maybe it was naive, maybe it wasn't. But at that point, when I realised that and felt God say to me, it was okay what you did, it's okay. 
I just thought, yeah, okay. Sometimes laying down my rights means that I will do something which could even result in me being abused. Wow. I may be abused as a result of laying down my right. And what does he do every time I do that and every time you do that? He works meekness into you. It's a little bit more meekness in you. It's a journey. And he's working it in you and he's working a little bit more in you every time. You give up your right. Meekness is about giving something up to gain something infinitely better. So what do we gain? What do we gain? And again, we discussed this in the pub. What does it mean when Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth? What does, what does inherit the earth mean? Well, I think, and I think we all thought in the pub, so it must be right, we all thought that there was a present and a future element to it. So let's listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10. He says this, Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So when it says that the meek will inherit the earth, I think Jesus is not just talking about what we get when we get to heaven, because we've given up all this stuff on earth. He's talking about something we get now. He's talking about something we get now. I suppose that would be partly my testimony. I feel that. So I haven't given up much in my life. But when I gave up being part of a big church to come here, which was costly and I didn't really want to do at the time, but knew it was the right thing to do, I have experienced greater spiritual growth, greater intimacy in friendship, a greater sense of relationship with the Lord since I've done that. I feel like I've inherited a bit of the earth. I'm content. I'm much more content than I was before. I feel that God has done exactly that. I've given up very little. But I did give up something that I loved and it felt a little bit costly at the time. But it's nothing compared to what I've gained since I've been here in the last three and a half years or so. And I wouldn't go back. That's not because I don't like that church anymore, but I just wouldn't go back because, because I've given that up and I've got something better. And... When you give up for him and he works meekness in you, you will get something better. But do you know what the other thing around it means when it says, I think, when it says you'll inherit the earth, is that your idea of what inheriting the earth means begins to change. So, perhaps, okay, so let me give you an example from me again. I'm sorry, just to use me, but I'm preaching. Um, <laughs> So, so I gave up a, a secure job with a, with a pension, and that was something which I had built my life on. I had built my life 
on the expectation that inheriting the world for me was 10 years' time, I can retire. I can. I can retire at 60. Ooh. And I'll get a good indexing pension. Great. And I had built my, my inheritance on that. What, that's what I was thinking of. When I thought of inheritance, I was thinking, and, and you know, Pauline and Owen will know this well, I was thinking, when I retire, my pension's good enough for me to continue shopping in Marks and Spencers. <laughs> and I had this little visual picture that in retirement, I would take myself up to Oxford Street and I'll, walk, and I'll go up to Marks and Spencers and I'll, I'll buy my, my food from Marks and Spencers and... And that was what I thought, oh, that's what, in her mind, that's what my life's going to be like in 10 years' time when, when I finish work. And, uh, but you know what? My, my idea of what inheritance is has changed, and I'm not so interested in that anymore. I do still like Marks and Smiths, but I'm not so interested in that anymore. Because as I've learned to respond when his spirit says, will you give that up? Will you give that right up? As I've learned to respond and as I've felt him begin to change me, what I've expected and wanted from my inheritance has changed too. It's changed. He changes our idea of what inheriting the earth means. So inheriting the earth is no longer what it might have, we might have thought of before. And as you give stuff up to him in which he can be thoroughly trusted, he will begin to change the idea of what you really, really were expecting and wanting from your future a little bit. And you know what? It's better. It's better. I'm now quite happy that I'm not building my whole future on the hope of toddling around Marks and Spencers in my retirement years. Do you know what I'm happy with the thought of now? is running the race till I breathe my last breath, and if necessary, dropping on the floor from a heart attack at 85 while I'm still doing food bank or something like that. Do you know that's what? And that's not because I'm some sort of hero person. That is because he has changed in me what I long for as an inheritance. And that inheritance now is to run the race and run through the ticker tape at the end. He changes the idea of what that inheritance is. And let me finish with this last bit. The Beatitudes are also something which, if we're not careful, we can think of them as applying to just us singularly. So we think, oh, blessed are the peacemakers. So, God, would you make me a better peacemaker? Will you do stuff in me that makes me a better peacemaker? But they're not singular, they're plural. Because what he says is, blessed are the meek, for, he doesn't say for he will inherit the earth, or she will inherit the earth. He says, for they will inherit the earth. If we want to become beatitude people, then you, we can't do it in isolation from one another. Because do you know what? God will only work meekness in me through you. That's the only way he'll do it. He'll work it in me through submitting to him, yes. But he also works it through me saying, I really didn't, I really wanted to stay in this evening, but so-and-so's just asked 
me if I could go around and we chat. Okay, I'm going to consider him of greater significance than myself. Of course I'm going to go. Yeah? If I don't have you, and if I'm not in the midst of you, he cannot work meekness in me. Meekness is not something that's some sort of reward for hard work. If I work really hard, then he'll give me meekness. It's what he wants to work in me through being with you. Or being in a difficult context where I decide that I will not react against that person who's just been unjust to me at work. But I choose not to. I choose not to gossip about that person. I choose meekness. I cannot, he cannot work that in me unless I'm in the midst, unless we are together. It is part of who we are. Working meekness is not just in us as individuals. So that also means that the inheritance is also ours. If I withdraw myself from you, I am robbing you of a little of your inheritance. And if you withdraw yourself from me, you are robbing me of a little of my inheritance. It's interesting, isn't it, when we think about inheritance and we think about God talking to the people of Israel about inheriting the land. And it was something that they were jointly going to do. And he passed over a generation, didn't he? He passed over a generation. And was it because Moses wasn't a great leader and had been disobedient? No. Why was it? Because the people were grumbling. The people were grumbling. They weren't being being persuaded by their leaders. They weren't in surrender and submission to the Lord. And God says, you're not going to go into the land. It will be the next generation. And in fact, you on this people will not go into the land until the whole of this generation has died out. So you're going to wander for 40 years. God does that. Sometimes it's, it's frightening. We need to be careful. Because if we grumble, God may say, okay, next generation. You're just going to have to do a bit of wandering. You see, I need you to pursue meekness. I need you to do that as much as you need me to. And we need to do that as a church. We need to remain close. We need to remain accountable to each other. We need to remain submissive and surrendered to each other. We need to be in each other's pockets so that he can continue to work meekness in us so that we will inherit all that he intends us to inherit, whatever that is. And it's not necessarily to do with the Moses. It's to do with the people to do with all of us. So, so don't withdraw yourself. Stay connected. Because we will learn this sense of meekness through being together as we do things like consider each other more significant than ourselves 
and as he works this meekness in us, and then we find that our personal inheritance, what we thought we wanted, just begins to shift, and we're beginning to inherit something different to what we expected, and actually it's so much better, and we're enjoying it so much more, and like Paul, we've learned the secret of being content So there's the individual inheritance, but there's also the inheritance for us as a church. Do you know what? God has an inheritance for this church. And I think he would quite like us to get it. So we have to pursue being with one another and laying our lives down and letting things go and letting my rights go, my right to make my individual decisions all the time, And you know what? That's why I love what we're doing around prayer groups. Because in prayer groups, it's like you do that. You begin to, you lay your stuff down to somebody else. And you allow other people to begin to speak to you and speak into your life. And you say, yeah, okay, no, I see that. I I can hear that. Okay, will you help me? Can we pray through that so that I can let that go? Yes, okay, let's do it. So prayer groups are just this wonderful way of us learning and giving in to him so that he works meekness in us. It's about surrender. And if you want to inherit the earth, there's no other way. So if you know that you have a tendency to want your own way and to make your own decisions and to run an independent life which sometimes feels like it's the way that's going to get you what you want, God's way is totally counter-cultural and turns that on its head. And he says, if you really want to inherit the earth, to inherit all that I intended for you when I made you, then you've got to let go of your right to determine your own life. And you've got to give that to me. And you've got to do it together with other people too. So, if you want and we want to inherit the earth, there's no other way than allowing him to work his meekness into us. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so very much that you are prepared to deeply invest in us so that then we can inherit the earth. It's wonderful that you are prepared to do that, to continue to work in us, to change us, to make us more like the Lord Jesus. And as you do that, you just change a little bit of what we're looking for out of life. And then we gain it. And it's wonderful. And we thank you for people like Paul who said, I've learned the secret of contentment, whether I'm in want or whether I'm not, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm free. I've learned the secret of contentment because he laid it down. He gave up his rights. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were the one who ultimately gave up your rights. 
when you could have called down a thousand angels to take you from the cross, you gave up the right so that we might be free. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for that wonderful example. And Father, I pray that when we find it difficult to lay stuff down, when we are in that messy middle ground where we have to make a choice and sometimes it's really difficult to lay the stuff down, our Father, I pray you'd bring back to our minds the picture of the Lord Jesus who made himself nothing and took on the nature of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then what did you do, Father? You exalted him. And he is our pattern and example. And if we will lay down our stuff and our rights, then you will exalt us. And I pray that you would continue to work this wonderful work of grace in every person here and in this church for the glory of your name and in the name of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus, and by the power of the blessed Holy Spirit. Amen.